0: recently read a story about a, uh, a summer night where there was a storm that had rolled in and uh, there was a young boy who uh, was just shaking in his bed and he had called for his mom and which his mom goes in there to console him and he's just in fear of the lightning and the thunder and all the sounds outside in the dark and he looks at his mom and says, "'Mom, would you please sleep in, in my room tonight?' And the mom, in just a calm, reassuring voice, just begin to nestle in with her son. And she says, son, I would love to sleep in here, but I got to sleep in daddy's room. There's a long silence and a pause when eventually what broke through the silence is a little young boy, and he looks at his mom, and he says, you tell him he's a big sissy. When you started thinking about that, this young child uh, is calling his dad a sissy. And the reason why is because Uh, we are all, uh, in some ways, afraid of something. Over the last few weeks, we've been uh, diving into this series called Do Not Be Afraid. And we have a multitude of fears in our life and areas that we lack trust. And what we've realized is that um, fear oftentimes is trusting in the wrong thing. And Uh, I just hope that as we dive in today that we will remind ourselves of the narratives that we've been looking at. Uh, Over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've uh, discovered these stories of these uh, encounters with these majestic, divine, uh, angelic beings and how in every account, God is giving an an invitation to the people to be a part of something in His grand plan But that invitation seems like an interruption. Matter of fact, the angel always reassures the person in which they have delivered a message to from God with these words. And I want you to say them with me. Do not be afraid. These words are meant to bring comfort and hope, meaning that you can trust in the things that God has said. Well, today we're going to catch up on an account. And instead of being in the book of Luke, where we've been the last couple of weeks, and uh, we have seen two encounters, uh, with a one with a guy named Zachariah as he was serving uh, in the temple. We saw another one as uh, an angel visited uh, the virgin, uh, a girl named Mary in her home. And, and here we're going to have a, a third account, but we're going to see that account in Matthew. Uh, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. It's the first book of the Gospels. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. And uh, we're going to jump into that story here in just a second. Before we get to that real quickly, I just want uh, to remind you of uh, one or two things. One, Uh, As we have mentioned, uh, we have Stone Point Family Christmas happening uh, next weekend. There will be no morning services, but I want to just make a pastor promise to you real quickly. Uh, If you will invite your friends, uh, we promise that they will have a great time. Uh, We're going to laugh. We're going to enjoy some time together. And then we're going to give your friends a chance to hear just the gospel message, the good news of uh, Jesus at Christmas. And so I encourage you to, to, to uh, be a part of that. And just real quickly, I want to let you know this statistic. For every person you do not invite, it's a no. That's what I said. If you don't invite them, it's a no. But statistics tell us that if you'll take the chance, you'll risk inviting someone near Christmas, there's a likelihood that they'll say yes to you. And so, if you don't ask them, we know that they're not going to come. But if you will ask, go out in faith, we think there's a great chance that they'll come and be a part of our Stone Point family Christmas next weekend. So, please do that. And the second thing is hey, as we approach the end of the year, there's this one thing that I don't talk about all that often, uh, but it's about generosity. And uh, as we approach the end of the year, it's a great time in which we think about giving and we think about giving to other people and we think about receiving. Uh, But can I just real quickly encourage you to be thinking about making a financial contribution to our our body of believers here, this faith family at Stone Point. Listen, we do ministry all throughout the year. Uh, There are so many great stories of of, uh, life change here, God doing amazing things, us helping people in need. And ministry always has a cost. And one of those costs is financial and so I just want to let you know that we have financial costs and burdens here that unless our people are generous, even in this season at the very year end, uh, then we we can't meet all the needs that we have. And so I just want you to prayerfully think about inviting someone to be a part of next weekend and also that as the year concludes, that you would make a generous contribution to the work and the ministry that's happening here in our body. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. We pray that you would use this as an encouragement to our hearts. And while oftentimes our lives are gripped with fear, whether it be that we're young and we're afraid of storms outside, whether it's we're old and we're afraid of spiders, or maybe we're just in here and we're just afraid of taking some faith steps. We're afraid of trusting you and your word. Lord, wherever we be on this scale of fear in our lives, I pray that you would help us to learn today. May we have hearts that are receptive. Would you give us Um, a spirit in which we can see, hear, and discern your ways and your will. Uh, As Ephesians tells us and Paul writes that we would have uh, the eyes of our hearts opened. Lord, help us to see and hear clearly what it is you have to say to us today. Thank you for your word and thank you for the way it teaches us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 1, we pick up in verse 18, uh, after a long uh, history of genealogy, Matthew, this uh, this guy who was an apostle and a follower of Jesus Christ, he writes a narrative about this early account um, of really the, the uh, pregnancy of Mary and uh, the Christ child, this, this guy named Jesus, who's the Son of God, who's going to come to earth. And in verse 18, he begins that part of the narrative with the birth of Jesus. In verse 18, it says, "...the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit." And so much like we, we, we read last week in the account uh, of Luke, uh, we know that uh, the Spirit of God uh, conceived in her uh, a child and that this child was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And while Mary had many questions and, and in many ways wondered how was this going to come to be, I want you to think for just a second, if you were betrothed, or in this case, um, engaged to someone and they showed up to you uh, on your doorstep after having an angel encounter themselves and said, hey, just want to let you know um, I'm pregnant. What would you say? Now, now think about it this way. Uh, Mary had a question in uh, Luke's account of the story uh, for the angel. And she says, hey, how can all of this be if I've never been with a man? How does that happen if I'm a virgin? Now, let me ask you a question. If you're Joseph and you know that you haven't been with this this woman in which you have been betrothed to, this engagement process that takes place for a year in which you are all but married, although you've not consummated a relationship physically, um, you're expecting to be together for the rest of your life. Now, then she shows up and she says two things. One, she goes, I've had an angel encounter. And number two, I'm with child, but I've never been with a man. And I'm just kind of playing this through my own mind in terms of what that would look like for me to respond. And I don't know about you, but I think my first response is, you're telling me you've seen an angel. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Now listen, that's the real part of this conversation. We don't get the the window view into the conversation, but I can just think in my flesh how that probably would go down, and we know that that that's a challenge in this whole conversation. So he's going, "Hey, what are you talking about? You have an angel encounter, like?" Are you? And then the second thing is, you're telling me that you're you're with a. That you're pregnant, that you're with child. Help me understand. how is that even possible? Because we've never been together, and if we haven't been together, that means that you've had to have been together with someone. And what she responds, no, no, it's not it's not someone. it, it It's not someone at all. like it, it's, it's something that God has done in me. it's it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, uh, yes, nice one. Uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a line I've never heard before. And can you imagine just the wrestling, the tension that must be caused in this moment of their conversation? And, and wondering in, in some ways what their response must have been. I mean, would Mary walk away uh, in frustration? Would she just sit there in silence? Would Joseph pound his uh, hand down on, on something nearby? Or would he just sit in silence himself? We don't know that account. But what we do know is how we would handle Similar things. And so here it is in this account that uh, she is together with child from the Holy Spirit, and we know that Joseph must be wrestling with things. Matter of fact, we know that because of verse 19. And it says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So verse 19, as he hears this news, you know that he's pondering these things in his mind. And we get the indication in verse 19 that he is a righteous man, that he's blameless and he's respectful and he's probably a gentle man. And the reason why is because we know that even though he seems to make his mind up of a couple of things, there's one thing that he is also sure of. And so in some ways, I think he's probably believing that Mary has gone nuts Secondly, we believe that probably in his flesh, he, he's having a difficult time understanding this concept of his his betrothed woman uh, being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But what we do know is he also loves her deeply and he doesn't want to put her to shame. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. And so he, he is going to do in some way is make this as, as quickly as and as painless as possible as he moves towards a divorce. Now, in that culture, uh, you, you couldn't just sign a divorce decree and send it to the courts. There were a, a council of people who would have been in this process, but his goal was not to humiliate her in any way. But as he's pondering, considering these things, verse 20 says, "...behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream." And so apparently he's had restless evenings and nights and uh, it was something that he couldn't get off of his mind. Uh, If you've ever been in a scenario that you felt like you had little control over, but you had lots of doubts in, you know how oftentimes you think about things. I mean, he was probably living in a day and age in which his mind was so consumed with it that he ate very little that he rested very little. That this was just something that was so uh, life-altering, that shook him so deeply to the very core of his being, that he had a very difficult time finding rest from his restlessness. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to him at night, when he finally gets some rest. And this is what the, the angel says, "'Joseph, son of David.'" He calls him by name, but he doesn't just call him by name. Hey, Joseph, he also reminds him of his lineage. Hey, you are the heir of what's going to happen. You are the line of David. And then look what he says next. Do not fear. Or in many translations, it will say, do not be afraid. This common theme in which we've been discovering over the last couple of weeks is what the angel of the Lord says to him. Now, we don't know which angel. In the other two accounts we've read, both the account of Zechariah and also the account of Mary, we know that it was the angel Gabriel, in which he clearly defined himself, his role, and his purpose. Here we know it's an angel. We could uh, assume that maybe it is Gabriel. We just don't know for sure. But what we do know is a messenger of God... And he appears to him and he says, do not be afraid. Do not fear to take this woman, Mary, as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what this does. This confirms in his life two things. One is that Mary wasn't crazy. And number two, it gives him peace to know that she was indeed full of truth. That she was going to be the one who would bear the Son of God. That she would be the one who brings about, as a messenger herself, the Christ child. She would be the one who would not only conceive Him, but she would be the first among many to herald His coming that she would proclaim his greatness and his goodness, and Joseph would be a partner with her in this life. And together, they are going to raise the Son of God. Now, what's so amazing to this is that as we think about her and her conception of this son named Jesus, the Messiah, which we've seen about in other accounts, I think we have to think through something real quickly. And here's one of the reasons we shouldn't fear and shouldn't be afraid when we think about this account. And that is simply this, that you and I need to know that the conception of Jesus is as significant as the cross of Christ. So think about that real quickly. The conception of Jesus is as significant as the cross of Christ. Now, there are some of you that you're like, do what? Like the most pivotal thing about our faith is the cross. And it's about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And I would say that is true. But what I need you to know and understand today, that is if this account doesn't happen, and Mary does not conceive Jesus through the Holy Spirit, then what you have... Is just a guy dying on the cross. Matter of fact, I would say that you and I, if we're not careful, minimize the incarnation of God. The incarnation is a fancy word for God in the flesh or in bodily form. Uh, If you want to remember it this way, you could say that God was, was in a bod. Okay, So God came in bodily form through the virgin birth. And and what you need to know is that you can't have the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection without the conception of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. They are tied together. They have equality in that way that without Jesus being born the way he was, you have no crucifixion and cross that matters. At the same time, if if you have a conception in this way and you have no sacrifice on the cross, then that also does not hold weight. You have to have both a conception of this way, God coming to us in form of a man, both fully God and fully man and the cross. Matter of fact, here's what you need to think about when you just think about Jesus being born of the spirit there's three things that you and i should think about and ponder on and if you have your bible you should write down because these are absolutely essential and crucial to your faith one is that he was god before he was a child so before he was ever a baby he was the beautiful god that we know of in the scriptures John, the gospel uh, of John, gives his account in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And John says this way, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was was, uh, with God and the Word was God. Now when it speaks of the Word, it's referring to a title of Jesus. Verse 2, it says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So real quickly, and just in that passage, it says that in the beginning, so when you think about the beginning of all things, Jesus is there. He was with God, and He also is God. He was with God in the beginning. And and not only that, everything that has ever been made was made by Him and for Him. Colossians gives us the same idea in verses 15 through 17. Uh, Paul writes to the church of Colossae, and he says this in, in chapter 1, verse 15. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, meaning that God chooses to reveal Himself to us. And He does that through His Son in bodily form. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Y'all say with me real quickly, all things, all things. That means everything, the things you see and the things you don't see. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before, underline that in your Bible, He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. So what you need to know is that before Jesus was a baby, before He was a child, He was God. The second thing is, is which we see revealed clearly here in the Scriptures, is that He was conceived by the Spirit. The prophet Isaiah said that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that, that we would have a sign. And the sign would be this, that there would be a virgin that would conceive and bear a son, and you would call His name Emmanuel. So 700 years before God comes onto the scene and the person, the work of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah tells us that, hey, here's what the sign will be. If you need a sign, you're going to find a girl, a young maiden, and she's going to conceive a child, and you're going to call him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not only do you see that conceived in the Spirit in that way uh, through Isaiah, but Gabriel says that um, to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, you see it again. The Holy Spirit will out- overshadow you uh, in Luke 1, 35. We see it in this account in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we just read. And you'll see it also in verse 20. Uh, and so you see that time and time again. She is with child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then the question is, is why does she have to be conceiving Jesus, God in the flesh, by the Holy Spirit. It's really important. And Paul writes to the church of Rome and he tells us that in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 and following. I'm just going to read three verses to you. 12, verse 15 and 17 but I encourage you to check out the entire section for yourself. In verse 12 it says, therefore just as sin came in the world through one man. So sin entered the world through a man named Adam in Genesis 3. It says death also spread to all men because all sin. And so uh, we know that everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And here's why. It's because we are sons of a guy named Adam. So Adam is everyone's father. Red, green, black, purple, brown, white, doesn't matter. We are all of the same race. We may, we may have ethnicity challenges, but we are all of the same race. And our race has produced the same thing in all of us. And that is a sin problem. Verse 15 says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass or sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, that abounded for many. So in one man, we all receive death. But in another man named Jesus, we can all receive life. Verse 17, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigns through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So one man brings darkness and despair and hopelessness, and another one brings life and peace and joy and comfort and salvation. We receive Sinfulness, because we were born of natural flesh from our father Adam. And it doesn't matter how good you are, what you think you've done right. What we know is, is that because we were born of natural flesh, skin and bone, we had a seed from a man, our fathers. We all are conceived in flesh, and flesh gives birth to flesh, which is sinfulness Pride, despair, darkness, and it leads to death. But let's talk about this one man who was not born of flesh, but he was born of spirit. Because of that, he doesn't get the problem we all get, and that is death before we ever had life. So before we were ever conceived and before we ever took a breath, we were already doomed and our father Adam. But before Jesus came onto the scene, before he took his first breath in humanity, he had already been conceived of the Spirit. And God had a purpose and a plan to overcome flesh with grace through the Spirit. Galatians four. Four and five says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So no longer do we have to be born uh, of the uh, be born uh, of the seed of Adam, uh, and ultimately live and die there, because now we can be reborn through the Spirit of God and His gift of salvation through Jesus. The last thing is that He then became flesh. And so flesh means in John chapter 1, verse 14, that He became flesh and He dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we know that He became like us And so not only was He conceived of the Spirit, but we know that that was God showing Himself that from the very beginning of time, from the very onset of creation, He had a plan of hope and light and joy to step into darkness and sin and despair to redeem us and to make us His. Hebrews 2.17 says it this way, Therefore He... Meaning Jesus had to be made like his brothers, us in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. So he steps into our sin problem to pull us up. And listen, friends, how much of our life has been spent trying to work our way to God when in reality what God did in Christ and in Christmas was work himself down to us through the person of God of Jesus. That's good news. And so what I need you to know is that Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest, meaning Christ, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted, Jesus, in form of flesh, tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he was without sin. He is the Christ child. And so here's what I need you to know. Christmas is not about the origination of God's son. It's about the introduction of God's son. It is it's not where God's plan originates because Jesus was before all things. He is preeminent over all things. He has always been, always will be, but because he was conceived of the spirit and he stepped in into flesh, he made an introduction that now once what was invisible has now become visible. Jesus would say it this way, uh, if you want to know my Father, then look at me. And so Jesus is the Father and it displays the greatness of God, the glory of God, the humble nature of God. Uh, he's not selfish, he's not distant, but actually he stepped down in a purposeful, in a, in a spirit of planning. He considered us and he entered in with us and did so in this Crazy narrative with this woman named Mary and Joseph in a way that none of us can explain or wrap our head around. God saw a provision for us, and that provision is shared in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. And here's what it says, And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Underline that. Like The reason that God stepped in is to save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what you need to realize is that because the conception of Jesus is, is important to the cross, you need to know what they both represent. Both Christmas and the conception is the same thing as the cross. And here's what it is that sinners have never been the problem, they've always been the point. You and I, sinful, wretched, messed up, we're the point of this whole thing. We are the point of Christmas, we are the point of the cross and the conception of Jesus. And here's why is because oftentimes we forget that God entered down into our mess to proclaim his message and herald the good news of great joy that is for all the people. That means anyone who would believe in him, confess with their mouth, believe in their heart could have life through his son. Now you may think, well, I don't really know that that Christmas is all about us. I mean, I think Christmas is about him and it's about it, it, it's about you know, just giving gifts to other people. No, no, no. Christmas, the message is about sinners. Sinners are the point of all of this. And I understand that sinful people over the years have misconstrued all of this. Matter of fact, I would say even in this place, sitting right now in this place in time, we struggle with making things about us. We are selfish. We're prone to sinfulness in that way. Uh, There's a lot of us in here that right now you're going, I wish I didn't have to watch this guy on a video. I wish I didn't have to come here in this moment. If I would have known he was going to be on video, I wouldn't be here today. And listen, that is just kind of our selfishness kind of popping up, right? Because what we fail to think about is, amen, like this is truth. This is biblical truth in a way that I can understand. And what we do is, is we begin to look at our preferences and we forget what the point is. And the point is sinners. Matter of fact, Matthew, the very guy who's writing this narrative, he reminds us, of what it looked like when Jesus introduced himself to Matthew. And so in, the, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 9, he tells us the story about Matthew having an encounter with Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, Matthew was a guy who was known as a tax collector. Um, and so though he had some rowdy friends, he didn't have a whole lot of them. And the reason why is because Matthew, as a tax collector, made his living by taking advantage of other people. And so he was a liar, he was a manipulator, and he was a thief. And I don't know about you, but many of us don't like to be around people who lie, manipulate, and uh, take from other people. And so that's who Matthew was. Matthew made it a lifestyle of taxing and oppressing people for the Roman government. What he would do is collect taxes, but while he was there to collect taxes, he went ahead and he added a little bit above the tax for himself. And so he gave to Rome what was Rome's, he rendered to Caesar what was Caesar's, but guess what, Matthew had a little slush fund that he had going on too. And so he would keep some for himself, which did not make him a popular figure. But then one day Jesus shows up and he goes, Hey Matthew, um, I would love to have a conversation with you. I'd love, um, maybe Maybe to just have, um, I don't know, dinner. Why, why don't you come and like follow me? And so you see this account in Matthew chapter nine, verse nine and thirteen. Jesus passed from there. He saw a man, Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. He goes, "Hey, follow me." And then he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were crying, reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So here's what happened. Jesus goes, "Hey, Matthew, want to go to your house and I want to I want to just hang out." And Matthew goes, oh, cool. Awesome. I'll call my friends. And so though he didn't have a lot of friends, the friends that he did have loved to probably party. And so here it is. Jesus is on the scene and he is apparently there with a bunch of Matthew's friends and people that loved Matthew and probably loved to party. Why? Because what do sinners do? They sin really well. And so here it is, they're sinning and enjoying themselves. And Jesus, this guy who's never sinned, is perfect in every way, who's fully God, fully man, showed up uh, on the scene and and he is hanging out. He is hanging out at, at Matthew's house, reclining at the table is the picture. Like he's just lounged back. And guess what? As the party's going on, then there were some other people that showed up and they were the more religious crowd. They were the people who had their lives together who even though they had sinned, they didn't really see it as sin, and they did everything they could to be righteous and and right and and, and good. And then look what the conversation goes down. As Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of sinners, because that's the point, this conversation ensued. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But then he, he hears it. Jesus hears it. And he asked the question, so those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and do not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's what he does. He goes, I guess you're confused. The reason that I was conceived of the Holy Spirit was so that I could enter into time and space and that I could call sinners because sinners have never been the problem. They've always been the point. That's why God came. It's why a baby shows up in Bethlehem. It's why Jesus has a ministry. It's why he lived a perfect life and it's why he died on the cross. And here's what I need you to know is that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God loves you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. And he desires for you to know him and his forgiveness. And the story then continues. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now think about this real quickly in this narrative in Matthew chapter one. The angel shows up, Says, hey, listen, everything that Mary said to you is true. You should now go and take her as your wife. And I don't know about you, but his heart could have been struck in fear. He had a few different options to consider. He could have even said, you know what, that's a little bit too risky. I'm not really sure that I can trust all this. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just dreaming this because it all happened in a dream. He could have done a lot of different things. But what you see there is that he did exactly what he was told to do. And he goes and he marries this woman. He takes her as his wife, but he doesn't know her. There's no relationship relationship physically until after Jesus is born, so that it, in many ways, not by accident, it continues to m- promote the, the important purity of God's Son. But Here's what I want you to think about. What if this was your life? What if you were the one who had the promise from God? Do you see it as too big of a risk, or do you take faith? Uh, a step in that direction and live that out? Do you waste your life or do you live it with faith? Do you you stay on the bench, on the sidelines, or do you get into the game? Like that's the question that's being asked right here of this gentleman named Joseph. And and it just brought this last thing to mind uh, as we think about wrapping up our time together today is that a lot of us in this room think about risk in our lives, and we go, oh, it's just too risky to follow Jesus. It's just too risky to do what he's asking me to do. I know what he wants, but it's just too risky. It's going to cost me too much. But here's what I want you to realize. God has never valued risk, but he's always valued obedience. See, I think a lot of us in here, we've confused risk with faith, that if we go on a long journey overseas, somehow we think it's risky, and because it it feels risky that, hey, we are more faithful. No, we think, well, hey, if I go and I do this big business venture and I leave enough room for God to show up in my risk, then somehow that's going to be really cool. But no, here's what the Scripture tells us, is that when we do things that are risky without counting the cost, that's called foolishness. And so we, we don't need to equate uh, risk as faithfulness. What we need to think about is obedience. The question is, is why did Noah build a boat? It's because God told him to do that. Why did Moses go to Pharaoh? It's because God said, go and do this and I'm going to be with you. Why did Joseph do all the things that God had asked him to do? It's because God was with him. Why did Rahab house spies? It's because God was with her. Why did Peter and Andrew cast their nets on the other side? It's because God was with them. Why does Zachariah eventually give into God's plan? It's because God says, don't be afraid. Hey, why does Mary and Joseph, why are they obedient? Because God goes, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Listen, you and I need to know that God's word has given us assurance and hope in this season that he is with us, that he's for us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that he desires for us to know him and to live with him. The question is, is will you trust him? Will you obey him? Think about this. He was conceived. He came. He loved. He lived. He poured Himself out. He died on the cross. He was made manifest to us. Why? Because of you, a sinner who desperately needs Him. Now will you follow Him? Will you be obedient to Him? Will you count the cost? It may seem risky, but you know what? Nothing's risky when God calls you to do it. And so what is God calling you to in this season? That you should trust him. him trust in Him and obey him for. Will you pray for us? God, we pray that you would give us the courage, the desire, and the strength to follow you. Lord, I know that following you oftentimes feels scary, and there are times where you have to remind us that we shouldn't fear or that we don't have to be afraid. But even in our faith steps, we waver. And and we get a little bit fearful. And I think it's kind of like Peter walking out of the water. You called him to it, but sometimes we know that you called us to it, but we just fail to keep our eyes on you. And we find ourselves either falling away or we find ourselves drifting in the midst of the moment. God, would you help us to set our eyes on things above? And would you remind us this Christmas that the point of why we give, the reason we celebrate, the reason we get together is because of sinners, people who are sick and need a hospital. And I pray that if nothing else, that this place is known for people who desperately need help. And I pray you would raise up men and women all across this place to be beacons of light and hope. And in many ways, they would throw out a raft to people in order to save them and bring them in. As a life-saving station, help us to remember that this is not about our selfishness, but it's about our sin, and it's not about the things we've made it about. It is about you stepping down into time and space for sinners like us. And so may we share that message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.